So if you're turning your Bible to Luke chapter 1, if you're not already there. Luke chapter 1. We are going to, Lord willing, finish chapter 1 next week. It is a very long chapter. Today we're going to be in verses 57 through 66. And the title of the message is Bitter or Better. Bitter or Better. In other words, when when you and I go through afflictions in this life, trials, sufferings of any kind that the Lord intentionally takes us through at times, do we come out bitter towards God or do we come out better? Do we come out more sanctified? That's His purposes in trials as we'll see. Let me just read the text first of all guys. In Luke chapter 1 verses 57 through 66. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There was no one among your relatives who was called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in, the hill, in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just come before Your throne once again, Lord, and I just ask for Your uh, just divine help today. I pray that You would help me, Lord, to, to proclaim the message that You have given me from Your Word, God, that uh, Your Holy Spirit will give understanding, and He'll bring conviction, exhortation to our hearts, application to our hearts. Lord, we pray that Jesus Christ would be, would be uh, glorified today. And we ask these things in His name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon says this. This is a quote of Spurgeon's on affliction. He says, When the green leaves decorate the trees and all is fair, one cannot readily find the bird's nest. But when winter lays bare the trees, anyone with half an eye may see them. Thus amid the press of business and prosperity, the Christian may scarcely be discerned. His hidden life is concealed amid the thick and the throng of the things of the earth. But let affliction come, a general sickness, or severe loss in the family. And you shall see that the Christian man plainly enough, you shall see the Christian man plainly enough in the gracious patience by which he rises superior to the trial. The sickbed reveals the man, the burning house, the sinking ship. All these make manifest the hidden ones. In many a true believer, true piety is like a drum which nobody hears of unless it is beaten. Did you hear the language in that? That that God sends trials and affliction into our life? And it's many times, guys, when when and, and you know, as Christians here in this nation, we, we do live a life of ease and comfort. But when 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 afflictions come into our life and trials come into our life, that's what's going to really what is reveal what's in a man. Okay? It's going to reveal the true Christian. It's going to reveal not only who's a true Christian and who's not, but the, the strength of each man's faith. Trials, as we just read in James, as Shiloh read to us, God's, God uses affliction in our life to test our faith. Okay? Not to test our faith from His perspective. He knows exactly where we're at, but to help us see where we're at. So that's, that's the question that I want you to have in your mind today. Do trials, afflictions, make you bitter towards God or make you better? Does it, does it cause you to want to draw near to God? That's why trials really are sometimes our best friends from God and His loving providence. He sends trials into our lives. Sometimes, different afflictions and trials is a, is a, a direct result of our individual sin. And it's maybe God disciplining us. That's what we're going to see in the text today. Sometimes it's just the, the trials that result from living in a fallen world, right? We live in a fallen world. We all go through trials because this world has fallen. We all experience 
loss of loved ones, sickness, illness, all of these things. And so the question you and I need to ask is, what do trials cause us to do? Draw near to God? Or be bitter and even curse God? Those are really indicators of where we're at, spiritually speaking. So in verse 57... Well, by, by way of review, guys, just, uh, just real quickly. Well, let's look at verse 57 real quick. It says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. In verse 57. She gave birth to a son. This is a fulfillment all the way back in verse 13, where you guys remember the angel appeared to Zacharias and said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Remember when he was in the temple offering sacrifices He says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. This is a fulfillment of that. And obviously this is not just a son, but a promised son. The son promised by God through the angel and not just a son promised, but a one who would be great. You guys remember we talked about how great John the Baptist would be? He was a great man because he was such a humble, godly man but he had been given such a great privilege. And so this is a fulfillment of that. This is that, that point in the narrative where, where Elizabeth is given birth to this son who is going to be the forerunner, the Messiah. So we're going to look at three things primarily today in the text. And the first one is in verse 58. We're going to see God's mercy and their rejoicing. God's mercy and their rejoicing. So the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing with her. We see God's mercy and we see uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, their friends and their, and, their, and their relatives, we see them rejoicing. Now, it says in verse 58 that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her. How had He done that? How had God displayed His great mercy? Well, if you guys remember... Up to this point in this narrative, uh, early on in chapter 1, when it first mentions Zacharias and Elizabeth, that she was barren. Remember that? And so the first thing, and you remember what came with a woman of that culture of being barren? It was a reproach. Those around her in that culture would reproach her. It was... Uh, many people thought in that, in that day that if you, uh, if you were barren, it was because of some personal sin. So she lived with that stigma, that reproach. So this is part of God's mercy. By giving her this child, as, as, uh, He took away her reproach. What a, great, what a great burden that would have been for her. And we talked about that several weeks ago. Living with that reproach. And the Bible called, described her as righteous. She, was, she loved the Lord. She was a servant of the Lord. But many in her day looked, looked on her with disdain, stigma, and reproach. So that's one thing. That's one way that God displayed His great mercy was taking away her reproach. And then another obvious one would be through giving her a baby. Right? They had been praying for a child and we see God's mercy in giving them a baby. Do do we not forget what a merciful thing God does when He gives us children? Amen? Children are a gift of the Lord. That's why it's such such an atrocity to see our world as a... You know, our culture as a whole, celebrating the murder of children in the womb. It's, 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 it's demonic, it's satanic. We should do everything we can to fight against that. So God is a merciful God in, in giving her this baby, taking away her reproach. And again, given this baby, this, this boy, the one who would be great, the one who would usher in the Messiah. And what is mercy, guys? Well, we're talking about God's mercy. We must, we must not just ever just skip over when we see a, 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 one of these, these attributes of God like His mercy. We must not ever forget what it means for God to be merciful to us. And the only way, or the best way, we remember just the glory of God's mercy is when we remember what we deserve. Because remember what God's mercy is. God's mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. See, we don't deserve even things like children. We don't deserve anything good from God because of who we are. We are at enmity with God in our sin, rebels of God, but God in His mercy sent His Son, 
Jesus Christ. That's where God really demonstrates His mercy. In Elizabeth's life, in Mary's life, in John's life, and in your life. If you want to understand the mercy of God, you must first remember what you deserve from the Lord. And we deserve nothing good from the Lord, guys, because we're not good. But it's in God's mercy that He extends His saving hand to us through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. You and I have spurned His name so many times. We have spurned Him. We have blasphemed His name. We have done our own thing. We have not wanted God to reign over us. And yet God extends His hand of mercy. If your heart is beating today, then God is still extending His hand of mercy to you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it was on the cross where Jesus took what we deserve. Okay, You and I deserve God's judgment. Christ on the cross took that in His body on the tree. Took the the punishment of the Father that you and I rightfully deserve because of our sin. But Christ took that. He has shown us mercy. The salvation of our souls being the greatest gift that we receive by grace through faith. But everything, including our children, including our health, including our, 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 our ability to earn wealth, is all given through a loving, merciful God. So we see God's mercy in Elizabeth's life. In these few areas, taking away her reproach, giving her a child, this child who would be great. And then it also says in verse 58, it said the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing with her. The the friends, the neighbors, and the relatives were rejoicing along with her. Again, that's a fulfillment of verse 14. When the angel told Elizabeth about this that you will bear a son. You will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice with her. Rejoice at his birth. And so that's what the the neighbors and the relatives are rejoicing with her. Obviously, Elizabeth would be rejoicing in what God had done. We see a beautiful thing here. Family, friends, neighbors, relatives. They are rejoicing with her. And you almost get the feeling that they were, they were rejoicing in the Lord with her. I think that's, I think that's key to, to, to look at, guys. They weren't just rejoicing, but they were rejoicing in the Lord with her. In other words, they were giving God the credit. They were giving God the credit for this, for this, this baby that she was going to uh, give birth to. They were giving God the credit. There's one thing to rejoice. There's another thing to rejoice in the Lord. And it says in verse 58, her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing in the the fact that the Lord had displayed this great mercy. Guys, what a beautiful thing it is when we give God credit for for uh, not only the things in our life, but when we rejoice with our friends and our family, when we see them blessed, that we can rejoice not just that they're experiencing this great thing in their life, but we give credit to the one whom credit is due, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. God is a merciful God. Have you ever been around someone who they just can't give God the credit because they don't know God? You know, you see things that, that, that maybe, maybe it's in their life or maybe it's in somebody they know's life and they're just, they use phrases like, well, I'm happy for you. Well, that's, but, but they just cannot because giving God the credit is foreign to them because they don't know God. What a beautiful thing it is when you and I can give praise and rejoice with our brothers and sisters, our family, because of what the Lord has done. Something as simple as a sunset. You know, the atheist, the unbeliever, who do they think? Who do they praise? When we see a sunset, what do we do? Praise the Lord. That's what we were telling our grandson last night. Did you guys see the sunset? It was like purple and orange. And we were just praising Jesus. We were saying, you see, Jace, you see what Jesus has done. He deserves the credit. So we see these, these people rejoicing in what the Lord had done. Guys, what about you? You know, that's one way we can witness to those around us. By giving God the credit for anything good in our lives. And that's not being phony. That's the truth. We deserve nothing good. We don't even deserve to see a beautiful sunset. 
Do you realize God could have given us just a gray sky all the time? Or I hear up in Oregon it is gray a lot. But even beautiful things like a sunset, guys. It's meant to draw us near to God and to worship Him. Do you give God the credit? Do you know this God that we speak of? I remember just even in my first two child's birth, I saw the difference. When my oldest son was born, I was not a Christian. I was not a believer. And so it was a great thing, right? It was a miraculous thing seeing my son born. But I didn't naturally just give God the credit. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I was excited. I was overwhelmed. I was emotional. But when my second son was born, I had been born again for a couple years at that time. And it was totally different. I gave all credit to Jesus Christ who created this little life. He formed Him in His mother's womb and now I'm a dad because of Christ. Not because of me. And so what a beautiful thing it is when we can rejoice with others, guys, and give credit to God. This is all mercy from the Lord. And the, and the idea that they're rejoicing with her, that's, that's just a beautiful thing. And just the fact that they're rejoicing with her, guys, we can learn from that. We would do well to remember this. The very simple principle we see in Scripture, rejoicing with others, right? Showing kindness to others. You and I as Christians should never forget that. To be kind, to be sympathetic. How far a kind word can go, guys. A kind word from you and I. A kind word or a word of comfort. How far will that go in a person's life? Don't ever think God can't use you just to to share a, a kind word of sympathy when you see your brother or sister in Christ, your family member, your friend, or maybe even a stranger, and just offer them a kind word. It goes a long ways, guys. We need balance in this area. What do I mean by that? Well, Romans 12, verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, right? You see somebody rejoice and rejoice with them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And what do I mean by balance, guys? One of the worst things you can do, and as a Christian especially, one of the, one of the ways that you can demonstrate a witness for Christ but not a good one is this. Have you ever been around somebody like this? Maybe you've been, maybe you've been guilty of it. You're having a good day, right? Everything's going good for you. And somebody's down. Somebody's cast down. Somebody's depressed. And what do you do? Why are you so down? That's not, that's not weeping with somebody who weeps. That's being a jerk. I worked with a guy like that. He would come in work, man. He was all about Jesus. And just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you were having a bad day, it's almost like he's like, what's wrong with you? And then he was one of the most moody guys I've ever seen in my life. Guys, we're to, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. But we're to weep with those who weep. We're to show compassion. We're to show kindness. We're to show mercy. Just like Jesus did. We see that balance in His life. We see Him rejoicing at a wedding in John chapter 2 with everybody. We see Him weeping at a funeral in John chapter 11. That's the balance you and I need. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And guys, don't be afraid to rejoice with those who rejoice even if they're unbelievers and they hate God. Right? It's a good thing when you see a man and a woman getting married. <laughs> Marriage is a good thing. Okay? No, maybe, they, maybe they're out of God's will in many areas, but marriage is a blessing. Having children is a blessing. We need to learn to rejoice and to weep at the right times and, be, and just be kind. And you don't always have to have the right words to say. Sometimes that can backfire on you too. You don't always have to, you don't always have to think you have to be a theologian when somebody's going through a hard time. Just let them know you care for them. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you're praying for them. That's sometimes the best thing we can do in this whole idea of rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. So that's what we see in verse 58 in this narrative is is, is this God's mercy. God's mercy, we'll talk about it more. His mercy and His grace is all over chapter 1. And we'll look at that here here in a few minutes. Verses 59 through 61, guys, I just want to look at real quickly. And then get down to verses 63 and 64 and spend some time there. 
But verses 59 through 61, and it happened on that day they they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Just want to say a, a few brief things about the whole idea of the baby being circumcised according to the law. Uh, male male infants were to be circumcised on the eighth day. You can see that in uh, Genesis 17:12, Leviticus 12:3. Some of the purposes of circumcision, just real quickly. Um, circumcision has health benefits. Had some health benefits, eliminating the outer skin, uh, diminished the, the threats of infection. Another, another purpose, primary purpose, it was the sign of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. Right to be identified with the nation of Israel, the, the boys would be circumcised. It's a mark of Israel's national identity. And then thirdly, Circumcision illustrates man need it illustrates man's need for cleansing from depravity of sin, which is passed on through procreation. Okay? And the New Testament equivalent or what circumcision points to, okay, as, as those who identify doctrinally would be Reformed Baptists, we don't we don't think the Bible teaches that circumcision points to baptism. No, it points to regeneration. That's what circumcision points to in the New Testament. The New Testament equivalent, or what it points to, is regeneration, not baptism. Let me read, let me read to you real quickly, guys. And again, we're not staying here long, but the word's there, so I wanted to mention these few things. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 2, verses 28-29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Okay? You, you are identified as a Jew outwardly by being circumcised. But Paul says, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So I believe circumcision is a... The New Testament equivalent would be that of regeneration when we receive a new heart. Okay? We receive a new heart. Matter of fact, the Old Testament mentions that as well. Those who are circumcised of the heart. That just means these are true believers. And then in verse 59, real quickly guys, it says uh, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. They were going to call him Zacharias after his father. In the Old Testament, the name was given at birth primarily uh, and not connected with circumcision as it is here, uh, there, there was a few instances where people received their name at circumcision, but not as a norm. And then also the phrase in verse 59, uh, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. And so that was probably a, a late Jewish tradition to be named after a father. That's probably what, the, what they're referring to. And then verse 60, but his mother answered and said, No indeed, but he shall be called John. No indeed. That's a strong phrase. She's saying, by no means. We're not going to name him Zacharias. No way. And so how did she know this? One of two ways. Either the Holy Spirit, this was direct inspiration from the Holy Spirit, or as we'll see, her husband John, who we're going to talk about, or her husband Zacharias, remember he had been made mute for not believing that God's promise about the son, and, and so he probably just wrote it down and, and told Elizabeth what the angel had told him about giving him the name John. We're, we're going to talk about him in just a moment. And then in verse 61, And they said to her, There was no one among your relatives who is called by that, by that name. John MacArthur, in his commentary on verse 61, he says this, By giving her a son, by, or by giving her... Her son, a name not shared by any of uh, her or Zacharias's relatives, she's going against the Jewish custom. And so maybe they thought she, MacArthur says, maybe they thought she had overstepped her bounds as a woman, so now they turn to her husband in verse 62. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. Remember his father, he can't speak at this time. He's mute. And probably deaf. Probably can't hear either. So they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And in verse, uh, verses 63 and 64, we're going to see God's discipline and Zechariah's praise. God's discipline and Zechariah's praise. Again, he's probably mute and deaf. 
because they had to make they had to make make signs to him as to what he wanted him called. And in verse sixty-three, it says, "He Zacharias asked for a tablet and wrote as follows: His name is John." And they were all astonished. Now, not a tablet like you and I think, but a tablet, a wooden, wax-covered writing tablet. This, this does probably indicate that he was deaf as well as mute. He couldn't speak, he couldn't hear. So he had to write down um, what he wanted to communicate. And this is, but this is the key right here, guys. This is the emphasis of this whole passage, I believe, in verse 63 and 64. What was his response? They made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called, and he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. Okay? Not his, not his name will be John, but his name is John. And the reason that's significant is because the angel had already gave him that name in verse 13. When he appeared to Zacharias in the temple, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. They have been praying for a child. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And of course, that's really the, the part that John didn't believe, and so God made him mute because he didn't believe the promise. So the angel had already given him that name. And why, why is this so significant in this passage? Well, if you look at verse 20. In chapter 1, the angel says, and, and remember when the angel's speaking, God is speaking, okay? This is directly from God through the angel. And the angel said, Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, which now we're at that point, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. Zacharias did not believe the Lord. He doubted. He did not believe. And God disciplined him. Remember, this is a righteous man. Chapter 1 tells us he was a righteous man. This is God's discipline on him for not believing him. He made him mute for nine months. Not only mute, but deaf for nine months. And now what do we see? We see John. The first time when he's asked about, this, about the child's name, what does he say? His name is John. Not it will be John. His name is John. In other words, he believed God this time. He believed God. And now what happens? From his obedience, from his faith, his mouth was open and his tongue is loosed. We see him in unbelief and God disciplining him for nine months. Now we see him believing God. His name is John. The angel told me that's his name. And now we see God open his mouth and loosed his, loosed his tongue. Beloved, put yourself in his position. Zechariah had nine months to think about his sin. Nine months. He couldn't speak. He couldn't hear because of his unbelief. And what had he had learned in this affliction? There's no doubt that he learned much about his own heart and about who his God was as he thought about these things for nine months. Let me, let me read something to you out of the, out of the uh, London Baptist Confession here. Speaking to this very issue, this is in chapter 5 and paragraph 5. This is under divine providence. But you think about it. Zacharias has been disciplined by the Lord. He had been in this affliction for nine months. And now we see him believing the promise, saying, no, his name is John. That's what God said his name will be. And God opening his mouth and releasing him from this affliction. Listen to, listen to the confession here. The perfectly wise, righteous, and gracious God often allows His own children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness of their own hearts. He does this to chastise them for their former sins and to make them aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts so that they may be humbled. He also does this to lead them to a closer and more constant dependence on Him to sustain them and to make them more cautious about all future circumstances that may lead to sin and for other just and holy purposes. 
So whatever happens to any of His elect happens by His appointment for His glory and for their good. And that's what we see in Zechariah's life. We're going to see how we respond. Guys, you see, this is what trials do for the Christian. This is what trials do. Sometimes it's direct discipline from our sin. But what do we see? We see Zechariah, as the confession says, being drawn closer to God. When he comes out of this trial, we're going to see how he responds. And that's what, that's what trials do, guys. That's the purpose of God's trials. Our sanctification. To draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Not to push you further from, but to draw us closer. To reveal our sin. To reveal our weaknesses. To reveal how... To, to, to remind us of, of, of the fact that we long for a better place. Okay? This is not our home. This is not our home. Beloved, mark it down. That's what God does with your trials. Are you going through a trial? Are you going through affliction? God is not interested in your happiness as much as He is your holiness. God wants to make you holy. And God sends us afflictions. And God sends us trials. And sometimes it's not a result of our sin. Many times it's not. But nevertheless, the purpose is the same. J.C. Ryle quoted, a, he, he quoted an old divine. He, it was unnamed who made this short quote, but listen to this. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. We grow spiritually through afflictions. We come to know God experientially. That's what happens. That's what the confession is saying. And, and, and many of you guys know this. But when my ex-wife 21 years ago left me and my, our six-year-old and our two-year-old and never came back, that was a, an affliction. That was a trial. But God showed me so much through that. He showed me so much through that and I came to know God in such a deeper way than I would have if I had not gone through that affliction. I understand now when the Bible says, you know what, there will be those in your life who forsake you. Your family will forsake you, but there is one who will never forsake you. What I came through that trial and affliction understanding is that, and I've told this to many, and it's, the, it's one of the wisest things that I've most foundational truths that I have learned. I knew this going into that. I, I knew it, but I knew it coming out of it that Jesus Christ is the only thing that's guaranteed in your life. That's it. You can name anything else and it's going to come to an end eventually. But Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be there to the end and then throughout all eternity. And I came through that stronger than I've ever been. I came at more secure in my faith, knowing that my faith is real, that I drew closer to Christ through such a painful affliction. Listen to Job 42, verse 5. Remember, remember all the, the, the suffering Job went through. He lost everything at the hands of the devil through the permission of God, right? The devil's God's devil. In Job 42, verse 5, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, yet now my eye sees you. That's what he's saying. Oh, I know you now, Lord. I know you even more because of the affliction that I've gone through. You know, that's really what the book of Job is about. The fact that God put on display to the devil and obviously recorded in His Word to the whole world that saving faith will endure to the end. Okay? If you're a Christian, you will endure through persecution. If you don't endure through persecution and you fall away because you were never saved to begin with. That's the point of trials. They reveal our faith. They show us where we're at. They show us even if we're ever, even a Christian to begin with. Beloved, Zacharias, his muteness and his deafness was not in vain. That's what we see here. It's not in vain. Your affliction that you go through, your trials that you go through, it's never in vain. Okay? As a child of God, God is sanctifying you. He's wanting you to be more dependent upon Him. He's weaning you from this world. This world is temporal. In verse 64, how does, he, how does He respond? It says that once His mouth was opened 
and his tongue loosed. And what did he do? Did he curse God? No. And he began to speak in praise of God after nine months of being mute and being deaf and knowing who did this. Do we see him cursing God? No, we see him praising God. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Job chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. Beloved, this world is full of trials. If, if, this, if you're making this world your home, you're going to be disappointed. This world is temporal. This world is a dot on a never-ending line. And then eternity. What did Jesus say in John 16.33? In the world you have tribulation. It's a fact. You're going to have tribulation. I'm going to have tribulation. You're going to experience loss. Loss of loved ones. Loss of health. Loss of finances. And, and myriads of other things. But what does He say next? But take courage. I have overcome the world. Is your hope in this world? Or is it in Christ? I have overcome the world. Right, Rocky? Is your hope in this world? No. <laughs> now our hope is in Jesus Christ. We talked to a guy the other day at the bus station. His name was Dennis. It's really an amazing thing. I just, I think, prepared this much of this sermon that day, and then, and then the Lord gave me such a, just a perfect illustration of this very thing we're talking about. His name was Dennis. Um, Jamie and I talked to him for probably forty-five minutes, and and Ken, and and guys, this was his very thing. This guy was a professing Christian, okay. And so I took him on that, and we talked to him. But the more that came out, he 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 keeps talking about the losses that he's had in his life. And I was trying to empathize with him. Losing his mom, losing his dad. All these things. But, but guess what he was doing as he kept doing this? Looking up to God, shaking his fist, and literally cursing at God. And I was saying, Dennis, that's not good. But that just kept coming out of his mouth. Because he kept... It was like, if, if God loves me, why am I experiencing all this? And I, we're trying to explain to him that this world's not our home. Okay? The wicked and the righteous alike, we suffer trials in this life. This is not our home. And he kept, again, he did it like four or five times. He'd look up and he'd literally curse God and say, and then he would quote, you guys have heard me quote this many times. Matthew 11, 28, 29, come to me, Jesus says, I'll give you rest. But he would, he would stop there. He would say, he says to come to Him and He'll give me rest. And, and then He would curse God again. You haven't given me rest. Why? Because I keep experiencing trials. And I said, rest for your souls, Dennis. And He literally got mad at me and said, why do you say that? That part's not in there. And I had to get my Bible out and show Him those three words, or four words, rest for your souls. And the whole conversation changed after that. And then He got angry, not at us, but he got angry and literally was in tears saying, why did people, why have nobody ever told me this before? I've been looking for rest in this life. He was a victim of the prosperity gospel who says if you follow Jesus, you're not going to have any problems. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And this was an example of what it does to somebody. No. He thanked us. And it's like the lights clicked. When he, just those words right there. Rest for your souls. We said, Dennis, He doesn't offer you, promise you rest in this life. He promises you rest for your souls. You need peace with God. And so the whole conversation's changed. He softened. He was talking about missing his bus and he didn't care if he did because he was just going to talk to the Lord on the way home and tell him how sorry he is. And so I just pray for Dennis. <clears throat> the purpose for trials is to draw us near to God. Okay? And it was doing just the opposite with this man. He would curse God. And guys, don't, don't misunderstand me. It's okay when we go through something 
It's okay to ask the honest questions. Lord, why? What are you trying to teach me? That's totally different than cursing God. It's never okay to curse God. And I told him, I said, Dennis, I've been here with you 30 minutes. You've cursed God about five times. I said, I think that's an indication of your heart. But the purpose of trials is to draw us near to God. To come out like Zechariah, praising God. Not cursing God like Dennis. Trials, afflictions, reveal our faith. How do you respond to trials? How do you respond to afflictions? You don't have to turn there. Listen to 2 Kings 28-22. This is talking about the King Ahaz. King Ahaz, if you, if you read through Kings, right, most of the kings are, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. One after another. Every now and then you'll see one that did good. This is another one that did evil, okay? But listen to what, listen to what distress, okay? Distress, afflictions, trials did to his life. And you'll see a picture of an unbeliever. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz, in the time of his distress, the same King Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. And that's what trials do to the unbeliever. They, they cause people to... Maybe they, have some kind of, maybe they have some kind of surface level faith in God, but trials, instead of driving them closer to Him, it just makes them more angry at God. What about you today? Just makes them like more unfaithful. Mark 4.17 You guys remember the parable of the soils and Jesus said there was that the sower went out to sow, right? The Word of God goes out. Different kinds of soils and one of the soils was rocky soil. This is representation of a person's heart. And it says the person who hears, the one who has rocky soil, it says they hear the message, they believe for a little while. And it says, but they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the Word, immediately they fall away. You see, the one who has truly not been regenerated, the one who has truly not been born again, the one who has truly not humbled themselves and bowed their knee to Jesus Christ and confessed Him as Lord, affliction is going to cause them to fall away. Fall away to what? Fall away back to the world. Back to the things they love. Back to the pig slop, the proverb says. Back to their idols. You see, whenever, whenever you... That, that, that's, that's, that's how trials and afflictions, they reveal who we really are. Men can have a flippant profession of faith in Christ, but trials are what's going to bring out the true. Show who the true believer is and it's going to, it's going to reveal the true faith. People go back to what they really turn to, their different idols. You see, I, idols, what, what we turn to when things get hard, that's who we truly worship. That's what we truly love. The person with a, a shallow flippant, false profession of Christ, they're going to turn back to their idols in trials. And, and sometimes they don't even need trials. They're going to turn back to their alcohol. They're going to turn back to their drugs. They're going to turn back to their womanizing. Or flip that around. They're going to turn back to what they truly turn to as their God. That's what an idol is. It's something you turn to. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6? Do not be deceived. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. If you profess faith in Christ, but you're... The bottle is your God. Illicit sex is your God. Pornography is your God. You don't know Christ. That's why Paul says don't be deceived. The scary thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived until the truth comes out. And take heed to the Word of God. And that's Paul's warning, but listen to his promise to the Corinthians, the very next verse. But such were some of you. 
such were some of you. Amen, Kelly? In other words, there's hope for idolaters. There's hope for fornicators. There's hope for drunkards. Guys, I was all of these until the age of 22. I was every single one of these. I can, I can honestly say when I look at that text, except I was not a homosexual. But everything else on that list, that described me to a T. But thanks be to God for verse 11. But such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Turn from your idols and turn to Christ and live. That's what salvation is. Thessalonians, Paul said, they turn from their idols to serve the living and true God. There's only one God who can save you. It's not your drugs. It's not your alcohol. It's not, it's not a man. It's not a woman. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. It's not a church. It's Jesus Christ and Him alone. But you must turn from your idols. You must repent of your sin and trust in Christ alone. Confess Him as Lord and follow after Him. He will never let you down. How do you respond to affliction? That's the question. Does it make you bitter or does it make you better? Does it draw you near to God? Or do you curse God like Dennis? God gives them for our benefit. So maybe your trial, maybe your affliction will come in the form of somebody who betrays you. I know what it feels like, guys. But there is one who sticks closer than a brother who will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when we go through trials as Christians, it makes us long for our heavenly home. This is not our home. We're passing through. We're a pilgrim, right? This is not our home. And afflictions remind us of that. God doesn't want us to get comfortable here. That trial, that could be that loss, right? That's what I tried to tell Dennis. Dennis, I, I sympathize with you. Man, you lost your mom and dad. I said, I haven't lost my parents yet. And I wrapped my arm around him. I said, but that still doesn't give you the right to curse God. You need to examine your heart. And praise be to God, He began to do that. Or maybe that sickness. Whatever that trial is, guys, God gives them for your benefit. If you're not a Christian here today, God gives you trials for your benefit to show you your lack of saving faith in Christ and that Christ is truly not who you're rejoicing in and who you're trusting in. You're, you're trusting in something else to fulfill that. You see, we are made to worship God. All of us are created in God's image and we worship something. But do you worship Christ? That's the question. Do you worship Jesus Christ? Are you bitter? Or are you better? I've known people who had a fairly strong profession of faith and through affliction, through trials, they fell away and never came back. And it's just revealing they were never, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So God's discipline and Zechariah's praise. Third and last, we see God's power and grace in verses 65 and 66. God's power and grace. Look at verse 65. Because of these events, it says, Fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. Fear came on all these living around him. And it says all these matters were being talked about. What kind of matters do you think he's talking about? He doesn't say, but we just we think about the narrative in chapter 1. All these matters. The Word had gotten around, right? Zacharias, his vision in the temple back early in chapter 1, right? When, it, when the angel appeared to him. And, then it, and you can see it back in verses 21 and 22. So the angel appeared to him, sharing with him about this promised son that he was going to have. And then Zacharias didn't believe, so he made him mute and deaf. And then in verse 21, the people were waiting for Zacharias. Remember, he was a priest. They were waiting on him in, in verse 21 to come out and bless them, to come out and pray for them. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and they kept making signs to them and he remained mute. So all these matters would have been Zacharias' vision in the temple. His inability to address the people. The birth of a child to such an elderly couple. Remember, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were elderly. And now they're having a baby. On top of that, she had been barren her whole life. 
that a boy was predicted and a boy was born. And then the sudden opening of Zacharias' lips. Fear fell on them. They began to see the power of God in their midst. He, he opened his lips suddenly and what happened? He began to praise God in sincerity and heartfelt truth. And fear came. All of these things highlighted by, by His praise to the Lord produce fear. What is this fear? It's a holy awe. It's not a dread. It's a holy awe or reverence to the Lord. You know what, you know what happened here, guys? They sensed the power of God happening here. The power of God came upon this man and these people who had heard all this this account of everything that had happened, and now they see him praising God, a man who couldn't speak, couldn't hear, and now he's praising God, and fear came upon them. But beloved, you know that our lives as Christians, our lives and our ministries should cause this reaction at times in people's lives. They should sense the presence of God in our life. You see, I don't think the power of God is being demonstrated up in uh, Asbury. I mean, I'm not going to speak too much. I'm not there. But there's a lot of fishy things going on up there. A lot of, a lot of heresies. A lot of um, things that God doesn't approve of. But when I see my brother here, in Rocky's condition, and his love for Christ, and his willingness to go out and preach Christ, that's the power of God. That's God at work. The question, bitter or better? You know what Rocky told me a few months ago? He said, brother, most people with ALS are very bitter people. And I said, absolutely. If I didn't know Christ and I had this disease, I'd be the most bitter person on earth. I'd be cursing God and wouldn't want to be around people. But we see Rocky here. He praises God. It's not fake either. My, my, my parents got to meet Rocky at Thanksgiving. My dad just goes on and on about Rocky. And I said, Dad, it's, it's love for Christ. It's His love for Christ. That's it. He's a witness. Power of God. So there should be times in our ministries, our very lives should cause this reaction from those around us. <clears throat> I think we saw this a little bit the other day with Dennis back to the bus station, that guy. We talked to him for like 45 minutes. It was pretty intense for a while. I was being firm with him, but loving. And just praying silently that God would open his eyes. And he began to. And he told, he told Jamie and I, I wish Jamie was here and helped me remember. I don't remember what the phrase was, phrase was exactly. It was either, he, he, he mentioned our love or our compassion, one of those things. But because we kept, we kept taking him to the truth of God's Word. We said, we're trying to tell you what you need to hear, Dennis, not what you want to hear. You're not promised a bed of roses, but you're promised eternal life if you'll repent. And God's not interested in your happiness, but your holy, all these things. And he made a comment. Towards the end, he goes, he goes, because he didn't know how to describe it. He goes, he goes, you guys, your love and compassion is like otherworldly. That's what he said. And we're just like, we're just trying to tell you the truth. I mean, I felt kind of silly when he said that. But I was like, but he he nobody's ever told him these things. I said, we're just trying to tell you the truth. But he sensed the power of God there. He sensed the truth of God's word there. And can I say, guys? as a plug for open-air preaching, <laughs> that none of that would have happened outside the preaching. That's what drew Dennis in. That's, what, oh, that's why we go preach for men like Dennis. It's not just what they hear when you're preaching. That is much of it. But it's God draws these people in who are in darkness and we got to share truth with Him. And then the very next day, speaking about this, the power of God, the very next night, we went to the Thunder game with Shiloh, Trish and I. So Shiloh preaches on the east side. I go to the west side and preach, and Trish is over there with me, handing tracks out. So when I'm preaching, 
I don't see everything that's going on around me, how people are reacting. I'm just concentrating on preaching the truth. And Trish made this comment on the way home. She said, did you see the two lesbian girls? I said, no, I didn't even, I didn't even notice them. And she said, it was amazing how they, one of them reacted because of the preaching of the gospel. She said there were, there were two, a, a lesbian couple and one of them looked like the, the, uh, the masculine one. Um, and she said she was so uncomfortable from the preaching of the gospel. Like in a good way. And she said her friend was wanting to, was wanting to express their perversion and wanting to mock. And, and, and she said the other one was just looked like she was under great conviction and she was just kind of pushing her away. No, no I can't. And I just thought of that as I was preparing this, going, the, she, whether she realized it or not, but it was the power of God through the Gospel, the truth that was having an impact on her. It wasn't anything in me. It was she was hearing the truth of God's Word. Maybe she was raised in a Christian home. I don't know. But again, guys, that's the purpose of preaching. That's why we go, we preach and allow God to convict people of their sin. Okay? But those are two examples of the of people sensing the power of God in different ways. But that can come, guys, just you. Back to our, our first point. When we're compassionate with people and we rejoice with people who rejoice and weep with those who weep, that's not a natural thing. The world doesn't do that. You ever been told that? Oh, you're so caring. You're so loving. And you're just thinking, I'm just doing what comes out of my heart because I love Christ. Guys, don't, don't discount those little things. They're not little in God's eyes, right? The sheep and the goats, remember? Jesus says, hey, the believers say, when, when did we see you hungry? When did we? It's just us living our life and extending mercy to others, okay? Those are big things in God's eyes. And so lastly, guys, and so we see God's power in this whole situation and really just His grace over the entire situation, this entire narrative up to this point, we see the grace of God. The mercy of God. And so obviously, look at verse 66. It says, All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? Right? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Right? They see all these things. They've heard all these things. Now they see the Father not only able to talk, but now praising God. And they're like, Wow! What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. So obviously God was going to be with this child, certainly with this child, like they said. I want to remind you of the names, guys, the different names in this narrative and the meaning of the names. And we'll see God's grace all over this story. Zacharias means, the name means God remembers. That's what Zacharias means. God remembers. In other words, God remembers His promises that He's made all the way back in the Old Testament. Right? I mean, the immediate promises here in this text that, yes, John, you're going to have a son. Your petition's been heard. God's going to give you a son, but go all the way back to the beginning, right? That God was going to send His Messiah to crush the serpent's head, to destroy the works of the devil. It's all starting to come to fruition. God remembers His promises. That He will send the forerunner before the Messiah. Right? Prepare the way for the Lord. And it's all being fulfilled. Elizabeth. The name Elizabeth means God is faithful. God is faithful to keep His promises. You and I must remember that, guys. God does not lie. God cannot lie. God cannot lie. He is the only one you can truly trust. If you don't know Christ here today, you don't know whether if you were to die today that you would split hell wide open or you'd be in the presence of the Lord, you can trust Jesus Christ. He does not lie. He cannot lie. And He says, Whosoever shall call upon My name shall be saved. That's a promise from God. Same way you can take that promise. I can, I can say it because the Word of God says it. Thus saith the Lord that He's faithful to keep His promise to judge you if you don't. You will stand before Him in judgment and you will give an account of your life if you die in your sins. Please don't die in your sins. Turn to Christ and live. 
The name John, right? The baby John, John the Baptist. His name means God is gracious. God is gracious. Isn't it a gracious thing that He sent John? The ministry He gave John? To prepare the way for the Messiah. God is gracious. Oh, folks, God is a gracious God. He promises to save any any who are willing to come to Him in repentance and faith. And then we can't forget the name of Jesus, right? We're going to look at Him, not next week, but the week after. God saves. If you guys remember that, that was our Christmas message, Matthew one twenty one. The angel told the angel told Joseph, "You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." You see God's grace in all of this, guys. He fulfills his promise. He keeps his promise. God is a gracious God. And so, so what then will this child turn out to be? They asked. In the middle of verse 66, what then will this child turn out to be? Now obviously looking back, we know. We know what this child turned out to be. John the baptizer. The one who in the wilderness cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He can take away your sin today if you'll trust Him. The Bible says we need to be reconciled to God. And it says God was in Christ. Reconciling the world, reconciling the world to himself. Turn to Christ and live. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist would say. And then the last phrase in verse 66: For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Wow, it definitely was, was it not? The hand of the Lord was certainly with him. That just means his favor. God's favor was upon John the Baptist. Think of all the different ways that God's favor was on John the Baptist. He gave him boldness, right? He was a bold man. He would point at the leaders of his day and said, you need to repent, you brood of vipers. It eventually got his head chopped off. But God was with him in that. He faithfully equipped him to preach. And he'll do that for any who he calls to preach. He'll give you, well, he's giving you his word right here. We just must study it. He comforted him in prison and obviously his head was removed for speaking the truth to the authorities of his day. He'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you, beloved. If you know Him as your Lord and Savior, He will do the same for you. His favor will rest upon you. He'll give you the grace to stand before those who oppose you. He'll give you the grace to love those who hate your message. He'll give you the grace to suffer for His namesake. Don't fear suffering, beloved. Don't fear what men can do to you. Don't fear men. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28? Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If you don't know Christ, that's who you should fear. You should fear the one who has authority not just to kill your body, but to cast your soul in hell. You need to turn to Him today. He'll never leave you nor forsake you if you're His. Beloved, that's a promise from Scripture. His grace truly is sufficient and it will sustain you to the very end. We're not living for the comforts of this world. If you're living for the comforts of this world, you're building your life on sand. And the day of judgment will expose that for what it is. Turn to Christ and live. Whether betrayal, whether disease, or whether in God's providence you go to prison for His name's sake, or anything else, beloved, the message for the Christian today is suffer well. You're going to suffer in this world. There are tribulations. You're going to suffer as a Christian at times from your family, from friends, from those who profess the name of Christ sometimes. You're going to suffer. Suffer well. And I'll close in 2 Corinthians, guys. You want to jot these verses down? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-18. through 18. 
And I'll close with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Paul says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You, Lord. Lord, we just thank You for the truth of Your Word, God. This is not our opinion. God, we thank You that we can build our lives on Your truth. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit, God, would minister to Your people here today, God, that they would, that they would know that, that we are going to suffer in this life, God, but that suffering, trial, persecution, sickness, Lord, is all meant to sanctify us, draw us closer to You, to make us long for our, for our eternal home, And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who does not know You, Lord, that You will draw them to Yourself. That by Your grace, God, that You will open their eyes, that You will grant them the ability to see their sin and see the danger that they're in, God, and see the glorious Christ that died upon that cross that can rescue them. Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.